Well, good morning, Anchored Fellowship. It's a delight uh, to be with you, and, and thank you, uh, Bill, for that warm introduction, and, and also for the opportunity to be able to preach and present our ministry here in Anchored Fellowship. This is our first time for my wife and myself to be with uh, you in Anchored. We were sent out by Faith Builders Fellowship Group, which has merged, and um, I'm wondering, how many of you are formerly with uh, Faith Builders? Okay, wow, good, uh, good cross-section here. And um, so this is our first time to be uh, with you. But as um, Bill said, uh, they've already been over to visit with us a number of times. They, uh, Bill and Donna are vested in our ministry, as is uh, Pastor Carl and Joanna. They, uh, they came over and visited us as well. Carl preached. And, um, and you don't know what the Lord did with your preaching over there, Carl, as well. But uh, we can talk about it afterward. It was very impactful for, for a number of our men and um, and Carl and Joanna have a story to tell you about a near-death experience I led them on when I, <laughs> when I began to drive on the other side of the road and they were following me. I became an American just momentarily, and we started driving on the wrong side of the road, uh, like you, well, in America, the American side of the road, and, uh, and, uh, and so, but the Lord spared him and Joanna, and yeah. They were, they got out of the car after we made the intersection and they were shaking like a leaf in the autumn wind, but they're, they made it and we're so glad for that. We didn't want to have to give an account to the elders of, of uh, injuring you, but um, your, your pastors are heavily invested in the ministry that we're doing in the United Kingdom. All the elders are. Many of you, um, many people at Grace Church have been receiving our missionary newsletter. How many of you receive the McConnell Missionary Newsletter every month? Okay, so not as many as, uh, as in previous years. We want to do something about that this morning. Uh, our greatest need in our ministry is for the faithful prayers of God's people uh, to, uh, for the Lord's blessing on our ministry. Ours is a spiritual battle just like yours is. And just for a few moments, for about five to seven minutes, I want to give you an introduction for those of you who don't know us uh, and for those of you who do, to give you a, an encouraging introduction about what the Lord's been doing in, in the ministry that he's given to my beautiful wife, Kathy, and myself these last 20 years in the United Kingdom. This is, uh, we're the McConnells, and um, Kathy and I have five wonderful children. We call them the Fabulous Five. And um, the two boys on the end in the gray t-shirt and the maroon sweater, uh, Joshua's in the maroon and, and Josiah's in the gray. They're TMU students. Joshua's graduating this year from Master's University and the pastoral major. Josiah is just completing his first year, sophomore year, uh, at TMU in business and administration. And then Johnny, he's the biggest lad in the back there. He's um, just turned 17. He's traveling with Kathy and myself and our two daughters, Joy and Julia. And it's a delight um, to be, it's a delight to be with you. It's a delight to have them with us as we travel through the states on home assignment. I put up this picture of the United Kingdom because I know um, how good Americans are at geography, and um, <laughs> it always makes emotions when I say that. There, I've, I've offended half the people, uh, but um, then we'll wait for the other half when I get done preaching. Um, this is where we minister in England. England's divided into North, Central, and so Southern England. We're always asked, where are you in regards to London? We're a 50-minute train ride north, uh, west of London uh, in, in, in the heart of England. We minister in the heart to the heart of England. About 10 years ago, the Lord gave us the opportunity out of difficult circumstances to plant a church that we call Grace Bible Church Rugby. And these have been the best 10 years of our 20 years in the UK. 
so convincingly so that we've decided to give the rest of our lives to church planting, uh, and that's what we, we hope to do. This is Grace Bible Church Rugby, the most recent picture I have. Uh, my wife and I and my family have been in the state since June on home assignment, reporting to supporting churches. Um, and we have not been in this facility where Grace Bible Church Rugby is. So this is sweet to me. Our church continues uh, to grow. Uh, we know that the church is not the building. You have, we have wonderful facilities here at Grace Church, um, but we don't as a church plant of 10 years. These are, these are my people. We have more than 14 different nationalities in our small group of about 50 adults with about 45 children, which is not typical in Britain. The average typical church in Britain is about 20 to 25, mostly gray heads with no children. Okay, uh, You do have exceptions like Grace Life London, our sister church, and a few others, but if you go out, the, the combination of adding all the village churches, this is not a cross-section you would see. It's not homo- a homogenized church. It's a very ethnically diverse church. It's not what we sought for in ethnic diversity. I know some churches, even in rugby, have had classes on how to attract uh, people of different ethnicities. All we have done is preach the word and made ourselves available to love people with the word of God in discipleship. But we're a church like, uh, like Grace Community Church in, in a smaller scale where we preach the word of God. We baptize those who gladly receive the word in the spirit of 2 Timothy 2.2, the things you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses. These entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. You can see this in our men's discipleship. In the spirit of uh, Titus 2, we have our women's discipleship where the older women are training the younger women. You can see my beautiful bride on the front there, and uh, she has the joy and delight of ministering to the ladies and, uh, and challenging them in the Word of God. We have a wonderful group of ladies in our church uh, at Grace Bible Church Rugby. They love Christ. They love the Word of God. They're eminently teachable. They pull up their husbands when their husbands are slacking, a, a little bit like the rest of the church around the world, I dare say. And um, so we have a wonderful group, and and Kathy just has poured her life into the ladies of our church with such great joy. We're we're a Bible training church. We're a teaching church, a disciple-making church. Here we are. This is our hermeneutics class, or how to interpret the Bible. We want everyone in our church to know how to uh, open the Bible from Genesis to Revelation and be able to know with clarity and certainty what God's Word says, not only for themselves so that they can feed themselves throughout the week, but so they can also hold others who preach the Word of God accountable for what they say to make sure it lines up with Scripture. Uh, as a church plan of 10 years, we still don't yet have our own building. Every week we set up chairs. Now we have uh, these, uh, these stands. I've never actually been in this building but this is a picture taken in February at our 10th anniversary. If you look in the back, um, you can see Tom Drian, Pastor Tom Drian from Grace Life London. He was our special speaker on the, on the day. And this is an incredible picture uh, of our church, how it's growing. We no longer fit in the places that uh, we are hiring out. And quite frankly, the schools that we were hiring out were kicking us out when they found, found out that we were not LGBTQ compliant. So it's only a matter of time before this school kicks us out. In other words, we need our own place, and it will cost us about $1.2 million, which we don't have because we're a church of young families. Uh, so we appreciate your prayers for that. Back in May, we completed um, what is a milestone for any church planning missionary, and that is the appointing of a national pastor to take over the church. After 10 years of of working together, this man who's, uh, who wanted to start the church and asked me if I would pastor the church 10 years ago, he was a fellow elder with me for 10 years, Pastor Tim Atkins, 
um, he began to be the pastor. In May, we laid our hands on him, uh, as you can see in the picture, and we passed the baton. In America, you say the baton, right? But we passed the baton onto the onto a British national pastor who happens to be a, 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 who happens to be a, a longstanding pastor, and also he was in the ministry before I was in the ministry. Um, we've been in the States, as I said, since June, and everything in the transition has gone fantastic. Um, Pastor Tim is a known quantity. The people know that he loves them. He knows that they, they know that he cares for them and he ministers to them. And so the church continues to grow under Pastor Tim's ministry. And, um, and so we want you to pray for, for Pastor Tim and Angela. He's left a secure job in secular employment to reenter the ministry and to live out the last number of his days, Lord willing, if the Lord tarries uh, preaching the word of God. About 10 years ago, the Lord saved a young Portuguese man from the island of Madeira named Claudio Farinha. This is Claudio. And when he got saved, he and his brother Sandro got saved. He said, now that we're saved, Pastor Tom, will you go back with us to Madeira and preach the gospel to our lost family? Madeira is an all Roman Catholic island. They said, we've never heard the gospel. We've never heard anything like this on the island where we came from. And he said, we had to come all the way to rugby England, you know, where, where God's not at work, where God's done working in the UK. That's, the, that's at least the story I've been told from many Americans. Oh, they're so dead there. He had to come to rug, dead rugby England, and, and they heard the gospel, and the Lord saved them by his grace. Uh, God's not done saving his people in the UK. I want to dispel that myth as a UK missionary. God's got his remnant in, in every people, tongue, tribe, and nation. And, uh, and when he's done, well, he's going to wrap it up and take us to be with himself. Uh, but this is one of the fruit of, of the gospel ministry. He's a son in the faith to me. And he's also the first graduate of our small church-based training center we call Grace Bible Academy. We trained him to be a pastor. Uh, a number of years ago, we appointed him to be a fellow elder. He's been a fellow elder with us for a number of years now. And now we're sending him back to Madeira. You can see where the two continents, if you don't know where Madeira is, the between Europe and Africa, in between those two continents out to the west is uh, 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 is Madeira, the uh, Madeira Island, where he's from. It's called, <clears throat> it, 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 it's an island that's a beautiful island. It's owned by Portugal. It's all Roman Catholic. And for years, he, for seven years, he's been training and hoping to go back to Madeira. And in January, on the 6th of January this year, uh, Grace Bible Church Rugby, in May, we, we, turn, we completed the church planning process, and in January, we sent out our first church planning missionary, who happens to be one of our elders. He's still an elder in our church. There is no church on Madeira. They've moved into a place called Mashiko uh, there. Uh, there's 200,000 people, Madeirans on the island. They get a million tourists every year that come in through the carnival cruise ships in the port of Funchal down the bottom. And, um, and so this is an island that we've been praying for, and we want you to pray for us and with us for the, the spread of the gospel to the Portuguese on Madeira Island and Pastor Claudio. He is evangelizing many days a week. That's his full-time job to see if the Lord will give birth to a church by saving people. And we would like for you to join us in praying for him. As you pray for us, we'd like to, you to pray for our son in the faith as he brings the gospel. If you have your phone, um, you can take a, a snap of this QR code. I can assure you, for those who heard Phil Johnson's message, this will not lead you to a cult site. And um, 
this QR code will enable you to sign up to receive their missionary newsletter. And if, and if you think, boy, that looks like Tom and Kathy's newsletter, it's because we're training him how to be a missionary. And so there's a bit of um, repetition, uh, at, at least in the form, but his ministry is great and unique. He uh, is not only a fellow elder with us still in rugby, even though he's in Madeira now, uh, but he headed up our evangelism team where that was, uh, went out weekly to evangelize in rugby. He's trained his replacements. Uh, he's a disciple maker. He's ACBC certified. We, as a church plant in England, in rugby England, a small church plant that we are, we want to be a church planting church plant. That's what we want to be. We want to continue planting churches. On Madeira, we think that there are at least three places where we can plant churches if the Lord tarries over the next 10 to 15 years, in Mexico, in Santa Cruz, and in Funchal. And that's just in Madeira, but there are other places. Grace Bible Church Rugby wants to plant churches if the Lord tarries is coming, represented by these uh, green circles and these cities. Um, there's the Philippines, there's uh, Zimbabwe and Zambia. Why those countries? Simply because we have people in our fellowship who are from those countries and want to return. We didn't just pull them out of a hat and say, hey, let's go to this country and let's go to that. We have people who said, would you train us so when we go back, we can be elders in the church and, and maybe we can't go back to the same church we came from. We might have to plant a church. Will you train us for when we go back? This is the case of the Philippines man who's a nurse in Coventry right now, works in the surgical theater. In seven years, his house will be paid. He'll rent out his house, move to the Philippines, and live off the rental of his house and be a self-funded uh, pastor and church planter. In Milton Keynes, which is the third, uh, one of the top three fastest-growing cities uh, in England, it's halfway between uh, uh, London and Rugby, and uh, we, we have three families from Milton Keynes, and two of those families have evangelists for husbands, and uh, another one may have the gift of teaching, two Ghanaians and one Nigerian. And so we, we might send out three families from our church in the next number of years. And the same thing with Birmingham and the same thing with Zimbabwe. Our worship leader is from Zim. He wants to return to Zimbabwe. He's not gifted as a pastor teacher, but he has the gift of teaching. And uh, we think we see that through his exercise of biblical counseling and compassion as he meets with people for biblical counseling. And in Zambia, we have a... Uh, we have a, a Nigerian brother who's married to a Zambian woman. And uh, I, I said, well, you're from London. You want to go to London and plant a church? He goes, no, 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 no. He said, they have Grace Life London down there and all. I know they have 13 million people down there, but I want to go to Zambia. I was like, Zambia, but you're Nigerian. You're Nigerian, brother. And he said, uh, oh, it's your wife. That's what it is. She's from Zambia. I said, well, will, will Zambian accept Nigerian uh, preachers? And he said, they prefer it. <laughs> yeah, they prefer it. And I said, why? He says, there's something about the passion of the Nigerian preacher. So we, we don't know if that's going to be where the Lord has him. But, and these other places, we don't know. These are just places we've identified based on this one biblical principle. Shepherd the flock of God among you. And God's going to build his church with their, with their spiritual gifts, with your spiritual gifts. It's not ours to have a plan to conquer the world. It's that we just are shepherding and loving and teaching the people God has brought to us, just like the Lord is doing here. These are people that are, these are not just screenshots from the internet. These are people of our church. <laughs> I heard of missionaries who do that, you know, and that's very sad. Not our missionaries, but there are missionaries out there who make up stories like, like that. But these are all people in our church. As you can see, Siner, there, the Filipino. He's the brother who's we're training right now as a preacher. And on the other side of him is Tox Akinlanu, 
Uh, he, he, I think he has the ability to be an evangelist and preacher. There's my Nigerian brother with a Zambian wife down the corner there. The greatest cross-section in our church are South Africans. At this time, I'd like to ask you to take out, do something unusual at Grace. Can you take out your cell phones, please? Just leave the ringer off, please. Leave the ringer off, but just take out your cell phones. And I'd like for you to take a picture of this slide, if you could. This is the best way for you to pray intelligently for the McConnells. Would you pray that the Lord would grant us a church building and the finances, the $1.2 million we think we're going to need to buy a building? Um, Would you pray for the Madeira Island Church plant and Pastor Claudio? There's another TMS student who's leaving Spokane, Washington, who's a single man, TMS grad, who's going to be joining him, Lord willing, in October. And would you pray for the McConnell's financial support? In May, when we laid hands on Pastor Tim, the church in rugby was, was giving us half of our salary that we lived on. And when, Pastor, when we laid hand on Pastor Tim, he needed to, we realized he needed to feed his family. And so we turned over the salary that they were giving to us to Pastor Tim. So since May, we've been living on half of our support, and that's why we're back in the States needing to raise it before we can go back. Our hope is that we can go back at the end of this August. This is, uh, many of you, keep your cameras out, Many of you said that you don't receive our newsletter. On the back of the missionary prayer card that's in your seat, you can see this QR code, but else, uh, otherwise you can, this QR code will take you to a quick sign-up in under 60 seconds. And I, I get a little ping on my phone that lets me know how many people sign up. So I'm, gonna, I'm just going to challenge you to let there be more than 11, Pastor Bill, <laughs> than the last fellowship group, more than 11. And really, our greatest need is prayer. About this time last year, uh, just after Easter, um, uh, my mother-in-law, my wife's mother, was killed by a a drunk driver in uh, Interstate 70. She's a godly woman. She's with the Lord. And um, dad was in the ministry for many, many years. Uh, But she was our biggest prayer warrior. She prayed for us. She had a desk in her room. She had a map up on the wall. She loves the gospel, loved the missions. She prayed desperately for us. And And I said to my wife, I said, when we go to the States, I think we're going to need to get about 1,200 people to replace her. And and we need a lot of help. Uh, We don't have that many people uh, to replace her yet. So we would ask for you to, if you love the gospel, would you pray for the McConnells and the preaching of the gospel? This is the form that you'll see. Very simple. It's done in in 60 seconds. And please pray for us, uh, the McConnells. Well, I'd like to transition now, if I can, Thank you for, for, for that screen. I don't know how to turn that off. I'll not be using it during the, uh, during the ser- sermon, but I'm going to unplug this. And I'd like to invite you to take your Bibles, please, with the remaining time we have, and open to Luke chapter 8. Luke chapter 8. And as you're, as you're turning there to the 8th chapter of Luke's gospel... I know that in a, in a group this size, there are, there are different kinds of needs. There are different kinds of spiritual needs and family needs. And, and I really trust and hope and pray today that, that if Isaiah 55, 11 says that God's word will not return void, that, that today the need that you have, uh, even if it's different than the passage I'm going to be preaching, that somehow God would encourage you, God would help you with the unfolding of God's word. I'm going to read our text this morning in Luke chapter 8, 
verses 26. This is the account of Jesus healing a man with a demon. Beginning in verse 26 of Luke 8. And then they sailed to the country of the Garrisons, which is opposite Galilee. When Jesus had stepped out on land, there met him a man from the city who had demons. For a long time he had worn no clothes, and he had not lived in a house but among the tombs. When he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell down before him and said with a loud voice, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I beg you, do not torment me. For he had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man. For many a time it had seized him. He was kept under guard and bound with chains and shackles. But he would break the bonds and be driven by the demon into the desert. Then Jesus asked him, what is your name? And he said, Legion, for many demons had entered him. And they begged him not to command them to depart into the abyss. Now a large herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside. And they begged him to let them enter these. So he gave them permission Then the demons came out of the man and entered the pigs, and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and drowned. We'll leave off reading there, though our text will go down to verse 39. Will you join me in prayer, please? Our our Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you for the grace that you've given us to assemble together today with people who know and love your word. We thank you, Lord, for Grace Community Church and its faithfulness to the gospel and to the word of God uh, these many years. Lord, we celebrate uh, the lives of those who have recently gone to heaven, whose faithfulness and testimony go before them, as faithfully supporting your word, faithfully teaching your word, faithfully praying for the extension of your word in the gospel. Lord, may you comfort the hearts of those who are mourning that you may fill them with joy as well, that their, that their mourning may be tempered by the promises of God. And Lord, for all who have gathered into the house of God today, some just going through the normal routine of a week, we pray that today you might have a word for each one here and that you might accomplish all of the purposes you have for your glory in the preaching of your word today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Since we began our missionary home assignment back in June, our two daughters, our eldest is 15, Joy, and and our youngest is 12, Julia, have both made professions of faith in Christ. We've been praying for this for a long time, like many of you praying for your, your children. We're rejoicing at this news, and we're encouraged to see what appears to us over the last number of months, what looks like spiritual fruit in their lives. And we would ask you, would you pray uh, for us as a family, as we continue to disciple our, our daughters and our, and our youngest son, uh, Johnny, as we're on home assignment, we would really appreciate your prayers in this particular regard. We know how important it is for your family to come to know Christ and to walk with the Lord. As Grace Community Church missionaries for 20 years, Kathy and I uh, have seen the Lord do some amazing things in the lives of the people that we have shared the word of God with and preached the word of God to, those who have heard, believed, and obeyed the gospel, there have been some amazing stories. You saw one of them uh, up on the screen earlier with Pastor Claudio, a man who was caught in darkness in Madeira, delivered by the gospel of Jesus Christ, now preaching the unsearchable riches of Christ on the dark island of Madeira. 
We know that many of you here in Anchored live in the same reality that we do, Kathy and I do, aware that life is passing quickly. And you continue to devote yourselves to loving and serving Jesus by telling all who will listen to you about your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And, and for those of you that we know, we just praise God for you, for your faithfulness, not only coming to the field to minister to us, but also your faithfulness here in preaching God's word and discipling other people to Christ's likeness. Our hearts have been joined with yours in the gospel for these 20 years now. And if I can, what I hope will happen as a result of God's word this morning, I can take a thought from 2 Peter chapter 1 and verses 13 and 14, where Peter says, I think it right, as long as I am with you in this body, to stir you up by way of reminder, since I know that the putting off of my body will come soon. I want to stir you up in this way this morning about deliverance, about salvation, about, about deliverance that exalts the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, and while we have seen the Lord do so many things over the years in the preaching of the gospel, I must add, however, that our years of missionary life and work have also taught us that many people attending church throughout the UK and even here in the US seem to have forgotten over the years the desperate spiritual state they were in when Jesus first came to them and set them free. Now, in our early days of preaching and pastoring in Rugby, England, at the first church we pastored, not the last church that we've just uh, turned over to Pastor Tim, there was an elderly couple who fit this very spiritual description. They had forgotten the pit from which they'd been taken. They had forgotten that at one time years ago, they were firebrands plucked from the fire from God's judgment. This elderly couple who fits the spiritual description asked me to visit the husband who was admitted to the hospital. And the doctors were running a few tests, but neither the man nor his wife were really concerned. You see, it was all routine. But they asked me to come nonetheless. And this couple was very comfortable in their lives. They were very comfortable materially. But unfortunately, what had happened to them is what has happened to many Christians that we have met since June in America, traveling from church to church. They had grown spiritually comfortable or spiritually cold over the years. I spoke with the man and his wife and read scripture and prayed with him. But he said, don't worry about me. Everything's here. This is all routine. Why don't you just go home? Nothing here to look at. Nothing serious here. After I left, that man's condition suddenly changed and I was called back to the hospital. When I came back to the hospital, it was as if all of a sudden the man was terrified There was a sense of urgency on his face, the face of his wife, and the face of the staff attending him. I asked him, are you afraid? And he said, yes. I'm not sure if I'm going to make it. I asked him, if God brings you through this, what is there in life worth living for? And And he said something that I would never forget, even to this very day. He said something along these lines. There are so many things that I wanted to do for the Lord. This was just a routine checkup. So many people I had planned to share the gospel with, particularly in my own family, but I haven't done that. I thought I'd be able to tell them about this great gospel later. And sadly, that man entered eternity without ever sharing the gospel 
to those people he knew and loved. He knew he needed to share the gospel, but there'd be tomorrow, you see. He only sensed the gospel need and the gospel urgency went just before he was about to meet the Lord. But my friends, it was too late for him. And I want to stir you up by way of reminder, those of you who know and love Christ, it's not too late for you. It's not too late for you to remember the pit from which you've been pulled and the fire as brands plucked from the fire where the Lord has rescued you and delivered you. I want you to remember who you were before the Lord saved you. So your heart would be filled with gratitude and joy in sharing the gospel with others who need it. This is my human goal in the sermon. I don't know. I pray, only pray that the Lord will accomplish his purposes. Our text in Luke chapter uh, 8. Before I get there, let me just ask this question. Have you ever considered why many believers just saved tend to share the life-giving gospel more frequently, passionately, and joyfully than believers who have been saved a long time? Now, I can tell you our text this morning in Luke 8 does not answer that question. And some of you are saying, that sounds like, is he trying to beat us down with, you know, some some sort of missionary guilt? Absolutely. (laughs) Absolutely. I I think that we, we love to think how spiritually mature we are, how much we're like Christ by the amount of knowledge we take in and I'm working on my doctorate in biblical counseling and by the certificates on our wall. But I think really that one of the true marks of spiritual maturity is do we see people like Jesus sees them? Do we have a compassionate heart like Christ does? If you're going to be like Christ, just don't memorize his words, do what he does, see what he sees, value what he values. And Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost. His mission was to point people to him. And his mission to you and me who have been delivered is to point people to him. We don't have a different mission in that regard. He's come to make atonement and we are to point uh, people to the one who made atonement. So if you're really mature in Christ, it means you're sharing the gospel regularly. I know not all evangelists are mature in Christ. I know the greatest compliment to an evangelist is a pastor teacher. But a great, the greatest compliment to a pastor teacher is an evangelist. And Claudio is an evangelist, our Madarin friend, and his brother Sandro. They got saved, and boy, I tell you, I started sharing the gospel more frequently. They couldn't stop, you couldn't stop those guys from telling people about Christ. I love being around guys like that. I'm more of a recluse, and, um, and I need to be around those people who are sharing the gospel. My prayer is that you'll become a burning and shining light again for which the Lord delivered you in the first place. In Luke chapter 1, verse 3, Luke is writing the events of chapter 8 so that Theophilus may have certainty concerning the things he has been taught. In other words, the stated authorial intent of the gospel of Luke is to bolster the faith of Theophilus, and that is that Theophilus may have the strength of certainty. And that's, a, that's an incredible word today in a day of uncertainty. We, we need to hear the message of Luke chapter 8. So like Theophilus, we will have the strength of certainty about the person and work of Jesus Christ. In the passage preceding ours in, in Luke 8, through 25, Jesus demonstrates his power over the forces of nature by calming the sea, saying, peace, be still. And the troubled sea of Galilee became Lake Placid. 
And he demonstrates his power over the forces of nature. But in our passage this morning where Jesus delivers the the man demon possessed of the garrisons or the Gadarens, he, he demonstrates his power over the forces of darkness. Specifically in verses 26 through 39, this passage is about the deliverance that exalts the Lord Jesus. And in our text, Jesus is going to show his power over the forces of darkness by delivering a man completely in the grip and power of demonic darkness. And today we want to look at two lessons about deliverance. There's just two points of this sermon. I know it's inadequate because it doesn't have a third point, but there are just two points, two lessons about deliverance that result in the exaltation of Jesus. Listen, in a group this size, I know there are people outside of Christ, and my burden for you is that you will look to Jesus Christ and him alone for your deliverance, your salvation. Don't leave church today without turning to Christ. And my prayer for all of you who know and love Christ is that you'll become like this delivered man at the end of this passage and make and glorify Christ by making him known, starting with your family and then to the city. There are two points. Let me give them to you. There is a need for Jesus' deliverance, verses 27 through 33, and there is a response to Jesus' deliverance. Those are my two heads. Those are my two points for the sermon. I have a long first point and a short second point, so that's fair warning. If Steve Lawson were here, he'd say I'd have a big porch and a small house. (laughs) The first lesson to learn about deliverance is that there's a need for deliverance, verses Uh, 27 through 33. How can we be sure this man really needs deliverance? Well, two details tell me, two details in the text uh, about this man tell me that, prove that this man needs the the deliverance that only Jesus can bring him. The first detail is the man's description, and the second detail is the man's recognition of Jesus. Let's take a look at the man's description that proves he really needs Jesus' deliverance is found in verse 27. You you notice the incidental detail about his local origin in verse 27. He was a man from the city. That's not going to be important until you get, it's going to become more important in verses 34 and verse 39 toward the end of the narrative. But we could see his spiritual condition, verse 27, he had a demon. His physical condition, he had worn no clothes. His current residence, in verse 27, he had not lived in a house but among the tombs. And fourthly, we can see the length of his captivity to darkness where only Luke's gospel tells us this with the prepositional phrase, for a long time. This man's description alone, his spiritual, physical condition, his residence, and the length of his captivity alone proves that this man needs deliverance. However, there is a second detail that proves this man needs deliverance. It's found in verse 28. It's the man's recognition of Jesus in verses 28 through 33. Notice these words, when he saw Jesus. I'm using the ESV if you're wondering what translation Uh, if it doesn't read exactly the same as yours, but when he saw Jesus. And there's three observations about this man's recognition of Jesus that I want you to see with me in verses 27 and 28. Notice in verse 28 that without an introduction, the man knew Jesus' name. Notice secondly, without explanation, the man knew Jesus' true identity. And and without hesitation, thirdly, the man knew Jesus' power, all from verse 28. Let's take this first 
first observation, without an introduction, the man knew Jesus' name. Despite the suddenness and the intensity of the moment, the man knew Jesus' name. The other gospels said that as soon as Jesus' feet stepped out, the man met him. It was too soon. There were no, no introductions were possible because no, uh, no introductions were necessary because no introductions were possible. It happened too quickly. The man knew Jesus' name. Now, we, we're not in Christmas time, but around Christmas time, we talk about the name Jesus. You shall call him Jesus, for he will what? Save his people from their sins. The name Jesus is the New Testament uh, equivalent to Yahushua or Joshua in the Old Testament, which means Yahweh saves. And another word for the word save, uh, it, the Greek word is sozo, but the, another English word uh, rather than saved is the word delivered. You can use those words interchangeably, and, and that's what Jesus' name uh, Jesus name means. It means Yahweh saves or Yahweh delivers. The, don't miss this. It's a simple observation, but sometimes we can miss some of the greatest fruit because we can pass over too quickly. The man uh, Yahweh saves. Jesus meets this man. The man needing deliverance. He he spoke to Yahweh delivers. What a chance meeting that is, huh? I mean, the, the only one that can deliver this man who needs delivering, it, it, his, it's in his name. You know, it's it, it, Yahweh delivers. That's who I am. And Jesus shows up and this man who needs deliverance is, is confronted with the one and only person who could deliver him from his Stygian midnight of darkness. And the man in need of deliverance, secondly, is not seeking Jesus's deliverance. Notice that. Uh, the, Jesus didn't receive a message from across the Sea of Galilee. Say, hey, would you come over here? I'm, I'm kind of bound up right now, need some deliverance, and it, I would really appreciate it if you rescued me. No, Jesus initiated the plan of salvation in eternity past. He initiated this man's deliverance, and Jesus is on the shore bringing deliverance to a man who doesn't even want him there. Do you remember what we read in the text? What the man said? What have I to do with you? What do we have to do with each other? That's not the warm and friendly reception uh, that, of a man who's really looking for Jesus to deliver. Just like so many of us before the Lord saved us, we didn't want anything to do with Jesus. You can keep that Jesus to yourself. We don't want it in New Jersey uh, and in New York. That's why Bill and I, were Yankee fans. I, I don't know if that's going to upset some people. But, but we stick together in that, don't we, Bill? In the East Coast, if, if they don't want you, they just say, clear out. If you're from the South, hey, come on in. We're all Christians, right? I don't know how to handle that. That is just crazy. <laughs> I think we're fit for, for, for England because if they don't want it in England, it's just like the Northeast and the Mid-Atlantic. Get off my porch. I don't want anything to do it. And this man didn't want anything to do with Jesus. Maybe you're visiting today and a friend who, who loves you and cares for you has invited you to come so that you might hear the gospel. Uh, they, they care for you, but I just wonder how many people have sat under the gospel and just said, no, nah, if you need a crutch, you, you can have that religion. This man didn't want Jesus. The man, he is another example here of Jesus initiating and seeking out uh, uh, the deliverance of this man. Like Luke 19 says, he, the son of man came to seek and to save that which was lost. Are we like Jesus in that? I think we, I, as a missionary, have a long way to go. And if that's true of me, what about for you? This is another example of Jesus seeking out the sinner who was fast bound in sin in nature's night, Wesley wrote in 1738. 
And with, secondly, without explanation, the man knew Jesus' true identity. What have you to do with me? In verse 28, Jesus, son of the most high God. I want you to notice something. An accurate Christology alone cannot save anybody. An accurate understanding of Jesus alone cannot save anybody. You can know all the facts about Jesus and still die and split hell wide open. Uh, it was R.C. Sproul who taught me three Latin words before he went to heaven. Taught us all of them because he preached this at the Shepherds Conference. He said that the nature of true saving faith uh, uh, involves these, these, these Latin words. If you want to know if you're truly saved, then, then, then it doesn't matter how much you know about Jesus. Do you know this man knew Jesus' true identity? The demons knew who Jesus was and is. They had an accurate Christology of Jesus, but they're not saved. They know a lot of accurate facts about Jesus. They know that he is the son of God with power. They know all about him. You may say, I believe in Jesus who he is. You may say Jesus is the son of the most high God. But James 2.19 says, even the demons believe and shudder. They quake. Uh, I think it was our pastor who said it. I haven't been able to confirm it. But I think Pastor John once said about James 2.19, about demons believing a kind of demonic belief in Jesus. He says, if you think you're saved only because you believe correct things about Jesus, all that does is qualify you to be a demon. You have to know the details of the gospel, the notitia. In England, we, we don't call them announcements, we call them notices. And then you have to believe that those notitia are true and assent to them, a census. You have to believe that Jesus died, was buried, rose again from the grave. Yes, and as a former Roman Catholic, I would sign on the dotted line. I believe the facts about Jesus Christ. I believe that he rose from the dead. The Bible's the word of God. God is holy, I'm a sinner. And I would assent that that's true. But that would not save me without the third component, and that's fiducia, faith. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. For those who come to God must first believe that he is and that he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. And I'm not talking about the kind of faith that says, oh, I believe in Jesus like I believe in Abraham Lincoln, or I believe in the prime minister as if I know that they existed. It's the kind of whole soul resting and trusting in Christ alone for the forgiveness of your sins and for eternal life. It's not Jesus plus the sacraments, Jesus plus good works, Jesus plus a seminary degree. It's just Jesus and what he has done on the cross for sinners who place their faith and trust in him. Without hesitation, the man knew Jesus's power. Thirdly, he says, I beg you, do not torment me. Uh, begging indicates that they knew Jesus's power. I mean, you don't beg to a weakling. You don't, you don't beg to, uh, to someone who lacks power. This word demai means to ask or beg. It's, it's used in scripture places where desperation is in view, like Luke 5, 12, where the man full of leprosy begs Jesus to heal him. And it's used by other desperate human beings. In verse 31, you see the, these words in verse 32. They begged him, they begged him. A different Greek word, parakoleo, it means to make a strong request, to implore. It's the language of prayer, parakoleo. Is this the demon praying to God? Not in the sense that believers are praying to God. He's appealing to God. He knows he's in trouble. He's in the presence of the Almighty in Jesus. 
And he says, do not torment me. This, this man without hesitation knew Jesus's power when he says, do not torment me. The word torment means to subject to severe distress, to subject to punitive judicial procedures, as the lexicon says. It's used to describe a boat in Matthew chapter 14, verse 24, that is being battered by the water against the sides of the boat. Don't torment us like this. In Matthew chapter 8, verse 29, the parallel passage, they say, don't torment us before the time. Now, the idea of Jesus tormenting anyone, including a demon, is countercultural to our biblically ignorant world. Jesus is often portrayed as a soft, effeminate man who never stepped on an ant. Yet I suggest that Revelation chapter 1, verses 12 through 18, give us a more up-to-date picture of Jesus. And here in Revelation chapter 1, verses 12 through 18, Jesus is not the suffering Savior. He's the glorious Christ. He's no longer being spit upon. He's no longer being abused and mocked and tortured, his own soul being tortured. No, he is the glorious Christ. His eyes are a flame of fire. His feet are shod with uh, with bronze. He walks among the churches, the candlesticks. He's not an absentee Lord. He's ever present among the churches. Someone said, I think it was Stacy who said, or maybe someone else said, oh, we love your missionary prayer cards. You always use that British flag in the background, but your family picture changes over time. That's right. Because we, I'm not, I look in the mirror and I say, who's that old guy looking at at me in the mirror? I don't recognize him, but. And and, and a lot of us, like Revelation 5, we we see lamb as he's just been slain. We're going to remember the death of Christ, I believe, in the glory. But let me tell you something. He's not the flannel graph Jesus that you've heard about. He is the glorious Christ. He's a risen Savior in victory over sin, death, and the grave. I, I wish I had more time. I'm just looking at the clock. John 5.22 says, The Father judges no one, but He has given all judgment to the Son. And Revelation 14.9-11 says, He shall be tormented, those who receive the mark of the beast, with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels, listen, and in the presence of the Lamb. They're going to be tormented who receive the mark. In the presence of the Lamb. Who's the Lamb? That's not the, that's not the soft and effeminate flannel graph Jesus. That's the glorious Christ. And, and, and the truth is, my dear lost friend, so will you. You will stand before the Lord Jesus Christ. Who, the one who will judge fallen angels. The one who will judge those who receive the mark of the beast in Revelation. And every unbeliever who enters eternity without salvation. The salvation that only Jesus provides. The one who died on the cross is going to be your judge. And notice what he says finally. They, they, without hesitation, they know Jesus' power. Do not torment us. Don't miss the irony here. The demons beg Jesus not to do to them what they had been doing to this poor soul. And dare I remind you what Luke's gospel says about the time referent? For a long time. Isn't that ironic? Don't torment us. I know we've been tormenting him, but, but, but don't do to us what we've been doing to him. I want you to look at Jesus' question in verse 30 really fast. We have five minutes. Two worlds are about to collide as Jesus asked the demons, what is your name? He says, a legion, for we are many. 
Now, in Caesar Augustus' time, a legion was the name given to a a group of about 6,000 Roman soldiers. So I know what you're going to ask me before you go. Let me just say, is a Roman legion, you know, the same as a demonic legion? I know you're going to ask me that. And, and, you know, I don't know. I, I have no idea. It doesn't matter in the text. What does, why does Jesus ask this question? If you're tracking with me, then you understand Jesus has power over the forces of nature and Jesus has power over the forces of darkness. If Jesus is God, very God, doesn't he know everything? Why does he ask this question? And it's not for his sake. It's for his, the, the sake of his disciples. And I dare say it's for our sake who are reading l- laterally. The greatest thing that I can use as an analogy is another scripture in 2 Kings 6, 14 through 17, where the king of Syria is seeking to kill Elisha, the prophet, and his servant. And Elisha and his prophet go to Dothan, the city of Dothan. And early in the morning, Elisha's servant gets up. He's having his morning cup of coffee. He looks out the window and he sees the whole city of Dothan surrounded by the Syrian horses and chariots. And he wakes up Elisha in the, in the passage there and, and his troubled servant uh, he, he says, Master, Master, look at the horses. Look at the chariots. And Elisha said to his troubled servant, Do not be afraid. And he pulls back the veil and he says, For those who are with us are more than those who are with them. That's good. That's really good. And, uh, and his servant saying, Well, I don't get it. I don't see it. And Elisha prayed and said, Oh Lord, please open his eyes that he may see. So the Lord opened the eyes of the young man and the young man saw and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. Jesus, in a similar way, pulls back the veil of the physical world to allow his disciples to peer into the spiritual world and to reveal what is happening in the unseen spiritual world. These two worlds are still colliding. The the realm of the physical world and the spiritual world are colliding every time Jesus delivers a soul from their sin. What is it that Jesus sees that his disciples need to see? Two things they needed to see. Number one, that scene spelled out in Luke's account is not an account of one man versus one man. Mano e mano. That's what it looks like when you read it, but that's not what it is in reality. And second thing that Jesus wants them to see is this is no fair fight. (laughs) Because these legions of demons have come up against the almighty power of God, their creator. And let me just remind you that greater numbers do not always mean greater power. Not in the presence of Jesus. And what does a weaker army do when it sees he's vastly outmatched by his opponent? He sues for peace. And that's exactly what happens here. So in two minutes, I get to give you my, my final point. That is, that is the need for deliverance. This last point is the response to deliverance. And there's three responses. There's the response of the herdsmen. They run away and they tell it. There's the response of the people of the city. They're curious, afraid, and ask Jesus to depart. But this is the take home for you. There's the response of the man delivered. And if you're a believer, this is an analogy of who you are. You're the person delivered by Jesus. My dear lost friend, the losers in this passage are the herdsmen and the townspeople who tell Jesus to go away and who run from him. Do not harden your heart toward Jesus like they did. All of us 
who have already been delivered by Jesus know the clang, clang of that ball and chain of sin you are carrying right now. We know it. We've experienced it. We felt it. And we know that your only hope for deliverance is Jesus Christ. And listen, here's the good news. John 8, 36. If the Son sets you free, you'll be free indeed. Free indeed. What's the response of the man who was delivered? His location in verse 35. He's sitting at Jesus' feet. Notice his condition. There's two changes. There's an internal change. He's in his right mind. And there's an external change. He was previously unclothed and now he's clothed. Notice thirdly, his petition. He begged that he might be with Jesus. Note the contrast between the man at the beginning and the end of the narrative. At the beginning, he wanted Jesus. Who are you? Why are you here? What do we have to do with with each other? Please, at the end, can I go with you? I I don't want to be separated from you. I I want to be where Jesus is. Do you notice the complete contrast between before you were saved and after you are saved, before this man was delivered and after this man was delivered? And notice his declaration. There's the deity of Christ here. Jesus says, tell them, declare in the city how much God has done for you. There's no debate in this mind, in this delivered man's mind, who Jesus is. Jesus says, go and tell them all that God has done for you. And the text says, and he went in the city and told them all that Jesus had done for him because he knew Jesus is the living God who delivered him. He went proclaiming. The scripture makes it clear, without the saving grace and mercy of God, we are all bound in chains of gloomy darkness and powerless to deliver ourselves. Romans 6 tells us that before salvation, every one of you who's a believer in here, were enslaved to sin. 2 Timothy 2.26, before salvation uh, came to us, we, the Bible says that we're all held captive by Satan to do his will. Colossians 1.13 says that before the Lord saved us, before he delivered us, we are all held in the domain of darkness. Before salvation, we are all Satan's offspring and children of the devil. As Jesus says in John 8.44, you are your father, the devil, Genesis 3.15, Satan's seed. But Paul says in Ephesians 5.8, you once were darkness, that's what you used to be, but now you are children of the light. And believer, before you, before any of us were ever saved, we are not so unlike this man in this passage. Where where ought you to be, believer? You ought to be sitting at the feet of Jesus. This ought to be your regular posture if the Lord has delivered you. It's a place of learning. It's a place of love. It's a place of worship. Your life ought to demonstrate radical changes in those two primary areas, in the internal change and the external change. Your heart's desire is to be with Jesus like this delivered man's heart's desire. You want to be with the Lord who lovingly, graciously, mercifully delivered you like this man. Not a selfish longing for heaven to avoid pain and suffering, but a longing to be with your loving Savior. And finally, your deliverance ought to result in you exalting the Lord Jesus Christ, just like this delivered man. Like this delivered man, you've not been left behind. You've been sent by the Lord Jesus to tell others what he has done for you. Wesley penned the words this in 1749, happy if with my latest breath, I might but gasp his name, preach him to all and cry in death. Behold! Behold, the Lamb. Jesus delivered you so that you would glorify him by telling others about Christ. And finally, the townspeople and the people of the city begged Jesus to depart. And you know the sad thing is? Jesus does depart. But not without him sending them one delivered person 
to the city. You're that one person where God has you. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for our time in your word, as brief as it was. I pray that it would be of some help to your people. I pray that it would stir them up to remember why you've sent them to the places where you have sent them, to glorify you by making your name known. Lord, for those who do not yet know you, may you open their hearts to the gospel to help them clearly understand that without your deliverance, there is no hope for them. But in Christ, if the Son sets them free, they'll be free indeed. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.